0: 37th Parallel, on America's Haunted Highway, it's Pixelated Paranormal, your guide to the unusual and the strange.
1: Welcome back everybody to Pixelated Paranormal. I am your host Sean and with me as always is Preston. Preston, how are you? I'm
0: good. Sitting over here in the driver's seat just going along, along for the ride.
1: Yeah, uh Steven will be back with us next time around. He little little jet lagged from his trip to uh Florida. Other flights were delayed, something fierce, and so we're going to do something a little different tonight and uh I think we're going to make it a little sexy this time around. Oh boy! (laughs) So first off, Isaac, buddy, I think we're gonna dedicate this uh, this episode to you because of your sexy questions on our Ask Us Anything's about uh, the act of the act of uh, being caught mid-coitus by a specter, and so on. And like I alluded to at the end of last episode, I picked up a copy of Sexual Hauntings Through the Ages. By Colin Waters. <laughs> mm. Mm-hmm, yeah. What's that tugging on your trousers, mate? <laughs> That's a funny question, Preston, and I will get to what's tugging on trousers here in a little bit. <laughs> um, but yeah, I I hang on a second. So first of all, um, I frequent the Bookaholics. It's a used bookstore here in Wichita. There's like three different ones across the city. Um, have you been to that specific one before? Which one did
0: you? Because I always shop at the one on Twenty uh, First and Tyler, Twenty First and Ridge.
1: Yeah, that's the that's the one I went to.
0: Yeah, that's the one I go to. That's
1: where I get all my digs. Yeah, yeah. Well, this is really interesting. Um, I, this just popped out to me. I didn't even realize this till just now. Um, I rarely sell books back to used bookstores, and I. Even more rarely do I write my name in the book, but I've I've discovered they have a really nice cornucopia of used books about the paranormal, weird shit, and I mentioned this a while back. Um, I picked up two used books a while ago. One of them was The Communion Letters, which is kind of a a listener stories, if you will, Uh, fan letters about abduction cases that were written in the Whitley Streber. And I also picked up the communion sequel called Transformation The Breakthrough. And what's interesting is this lady, somebody must have just sold back a shit ton of books. Because in the communion sequel, it says here that Andrea, and I'm going to leave her last name out, a woman named Andrea, 730, 1989, had this book. That was the transformation. In the communion letters, she's dated this one, Andrea, uh, middle initial, last name, 12 20 1997. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so I thought that was kind of cool. This lady was into you know, the same stuff, and especially these two books. She must have had the whole collection of communion books. Um, I think there's like three or five that go in the set. But anyway, getting this sexual hauntings book, lo and behold, this lady's name pops up in this book, too.
0: Holy shit. And this
1: has nothing to do with aliens or Whitley Strieber or anything, but it says Andrea, middle initial, last name, 5 four, 1996 Damn. So this episode goes out to Andrea, too. Isaac and Andrea, no relation. They've probably never met. But I wonder how many other books of this lady I've bought. Let me check one more real quick here. I also <laughs> <laughs> The fourth book and the last book I bought from uh, Bookaholics is Intruders. The Incredible Visitations at Copley Woods. Holy, I'm systematically <laughs> buying this woman's entire paranormal book collection. Holy shit. Andrea between Middle, and initial next, last name. What?
0: Next Between now and next show, I need to dig out my uh, Mary Allen Guiley's uh, Bible to the Occult and see if her name is in that.
1: <laughs> I guess so, dude. Yeah, this is uh, August 28th, 1992. So huge shout out to Andrea L, because you are supplying us with a lot of information and a lot of subject matter. So you truly are our woman in the streets. So um, you you said you had something interesting to start the thing off with here?
0: Yeah, so I came across this website called Esoterics, and that's where I found that lovely pygmy uh crane war article that we read (laughs) yeah 20 30 episodes ago and um so before tonight's show i'm like you know i haven't been on there in a while so let's let's just double check that out and let me see what he's got going on And i was scrolling down and um i found this article about uh ghost in the nude and i'm (laughs) like well shit that actually ties in with all this sexiness we're gonna be talking about. And uh, so I thought it was going to be an article about naked ghosts, like people seeing naked ghosts. Um, but the 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 author of the website who does all the blogs and everything, um, it's actually about why we don't see naked ghosts, right? Oh. Because fashion is such an important thing in our society. And you know, if you think about like when it first started out and we were, you know, ooga booga cavemen um we really didn't wear a lot of clothes we probably didn't wear anything and we just had our junk hanging out in the yeah, wind it's flopping and, in the wind yeah you know your balls are flopping there and, <laughs> um, or your boobs you know we're not gender biased and yeah you know, your shit's just there for the world to see and then as we migrate out all your gooey bits just hanging all out. all your gooey bits and then as we you know we migrate out um and we get to cooler climates and things start nipping Um, We decided that (laughs) your
1: gooey bits become frosty bits real quick. Yeah.
0: (laughs) We decided that we were going to protect ourselves when we start wearing animal skins. And then um, clothing became kind of a social status, like fashion became a thing. And, you know, you were uh, basically, if you're rich or you were poor, people could tell your social class by the way you dress. And so Uh the fashion of the day was a very important thing. And, um, you know, a gentleman do, would dress a certain way, and then a, a woman uh, would dress a very particular way. and even now, you know hipsters um have their own their own little thing going on. and you know, like I like to think if Corey died that uh, if he were to come back and haunt us that uh, maybe that dick sucking hat that he wears, like that's how
1: we would see Corey. <laughs> wow, you're just gonna call it you shouldn't call it yeah. by that out and open, huh? yeah. <laughs> I wear them, too. so it, 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 um, it, That's also known as a pork pie hat or a newsboy hat, for those of yeah. you who are not um, up to date with Preston's <laughs> vernacular.
0: <laughs> I wear them, too, so it's fine. But it, it, it always raises the question of why. Why don't we see naked ghosts? And why do ghosts dress from a particular era? So if a ghost were to die in the 1700s, you don't see them in any other clothing than from the era that they died in, is it? And is it because is fashion a very important thing, or does it have to do with something else? So, um, the mate, there, there's a couple of theories that are running around. So, the first theory is that an apparition is a, a thought image, which is actually taken temporary form in the inter-atomic ether, and if atoms are either. Under altered conditions, there is nothing unreasonable in assuming that the free, non-atomic ether may yield more readily to the control of the individual minds that, uh than the bound atomic. Oh fuck! This is too. Uh, this is too uh, scientific here. Yeah. Anyways.
1: Yeah. Break it down, Doctor Preston.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um. It, intel- intelligent beings may form in this uh this medium of images of them fuck i don't even fucking know so basically because of the ether um you know the the ghosts are able to control the the particles in this realm this dimension and it's the way right light reflects off it we're able to you know pick it up into our eyes um now the other theory is that everything is just telepathic that we don't actually see ghosts so there's nothing they can't you know, take hold of those ether atomic molecules, Mr. Science there. And since <laughs> uh, the it's all telepathic, that they're just transmitting direct mind-to-thought imagery to ourselves. And, uh, you know, maybe they're just going to project the last thing that they were wearing. So if they remember wearing, you know, like a, a pilgrim hat and trousers, that that's what they're going to project to you. Oh, okay, um, yeah. Because that's a lot easier to take in than you know. If Grandma wants to come a knocking, um, her titties are a flopping. Like you, wow. maybe you can't. Maybe you can't handle that. So she's got to be like, well, you know, he always liked, or you know, always he
1: I always liked was, it when my titties weren't a flopping. So I yeah. guess I'll wear a blouse.
0: Yeah, you know, like you know, you always remember <laughs> Grandma idiot. when you talk about Grandma. Like Grandma wore this blue dress, or you know, this yellow dress with sunflowers or some shit. So <laughs> okay. then Grandma's like, well, I'm gonna telepathically put that image in his mind so it's more appealing to him. So he's not as frightened about it. Um, then the, another Victorian era author surmised that uh, being a, a clothed ghost is no different than when a snail crab or other creature utilizes the elements around them to fashion its shell so that the, you know, a ghost could utilize like water molecules or whatever it was, and then form the clothes to clothe it. So why it was interacting in this realm, it had something to wear.
1: Uh-huh. Uh-huh.
0: So, uh huh. Uh huh. So you know, you know that I guess it leaves us to wonder if ghosts are subject to fashion trends. If you know, if you died in the 17th century and tastes have evolved, that uh, maybe you should replace that shit with uh, a fedora and a suit suit. Huh. Yeah. So I really butcher that because uh, I <laughs> did not think that that was nearly a scientific one. I read it, I'm like, holy crap! <laughs> right. That does not sound good when I'm talking about it.
1: Oh, man. Yeah. Well, you know what? If nothing else, you at least added to the conversation.
0: Yeah. You know, I, but I, I think it makes sense. If you think about it, like, we could not handle seeing naked ghosts. Like, that would probably just freak us the fuck out. So it's easier right? for them to project clothes on themselves so that uh, the experience is, uh, you know, less frightening. <laughs> like, damn, put your Johnson away.
1: Yeah. No kidding, though. <laughs> Don't swing that at me. Well, You're in luck, buddy, because I've picked out five specific stories, somewhat chosen at random, and we might just get a taste of what it's like to see a naked phantom. And have some ectoplasmic goo thrown at you? (sighs) Buddy, you may not be that far from the truth. (laughs) (laughs) So, like I said before, I picked up Sexual Hauntings Through the Ages from Colin Waters at the Bookaholics, uh, one of the three here in Wichita. Now, this book, let's just see here. Let's just crack open the inside page here. This was copyrighted in 1993 and pressed in 1994 here in the good old U.S. of A. So, what do you think? Should I start things off with a sexy tale of a voyeuristic wizard? Um, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> now forgive me guys, I will hit me with your wizardy. <laughs> right. I will probably be just be reading these word for word for the most part, but they're all very short stories. So the first story tonight will be called And you know what guys, maybe turn the lights off and um I don't know light a candle or something, get light a candle. Yeah. 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 Pour yourself a glass of wine. Put uh-huh. on some berry white. Don't put a on berry white cuz you're putting on us. Oh, well. I mean, one one earphone is us. One earphone is Barry White. Yeah, boom, boom, boom. <laughs> and we should go ahead and give a warning. I don't think these stories are going to be too racy. I don't think they're going to get too raunchy in nature. However, I cannot foresee the future and tell you how racy or raunchy Preston and I will become. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to call this NSFW. But the N, I think, is going to be lowercase because maybe maybe it's an M-N-S-F-W, maybe not safe for work. So if ever there was a time when you wanted to listen with your headphones in at work, this may be the episode. Yeah. Or you <laughs> may. have
0: already a- said cocksucker. In titties, <laughs> <so>. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's true. Um, if you don't want to make any unwanted friends, you may not want to listen to this out loud or else it may attract some other strange in- individuals. Uh who knows? Maybe we'll, maybe we'll be some matchmakers pressed in through all this. Yeah. hmm Get, get on the
0: love train.
1: It's related <laughs> paranormal love train. Mm-hmm. All right, let's get things started here. The Voyeuristic Wizard. Pendle Hill has a reputation as the haunt of witches stretching back hundreds of years. Perhaps it's not surprising... Than that, where witches are found to be, so are wizards. Though it is not one wizard in particular, in ghostly form, who is renowned in such an area of Alderly Edge, Cheshire. This particular ghost was well known for his endless fascination for peeping on courting couples who used the peaceful area for daytime romance. A number of couples have reported a naked, Bearded man watching them from behind bushes or disturbing their open air lovemaking on a number of occasions. Uh-huh. <laughs> Though many may put the incidents down to local Peeping Toms, others believe that the voyeur is the ghost of one of the ancient Pendle wizards of the area. One such wizard is commemorated in a verse to be found carved near a local well. Drink of this and take thy fill. The water flows by the wizard's will. And this is said to be a haunted well, haunted by the loving spirit of said wizard. Many couples come to the well to drink the water if they're having trouble having children. They think that while once barren, by drinking the water, they can be cured and then procreate without any other troubles.
0: Is that, is that because the wizard spent his life jizzing in the well, so like... <laughs> oh, no! Now it's imbued with his
1: magical wizard gist. And the village is just full of a bunch of babies with big beards when they're born? Yeah. <laughs> wow. Oh. Yikes. Though no one can tell when the first modern haunting took place, one tale is told of a beautiful girl who told her parents that she'd been watched by a naked little old man with a long white beard. Shortly afterwards, during the heat of the summer, a young couple lay on the grass in the same area, kissing and showing their affection for each other. A naked old man with a long white beard came out of the bushes and startled them. Though he made no attempt to talk or touch the couple, he did walk by them, suddenly vanishing into thin air. Another sighting of the ghost was made by a retired police officer who was picnicking in that same area with his wife. A short while after, they both felt like they were being watched. Without drawing any attention to the fact, they made a plan to grab hold of this offender. Thanks to his police training, the man was able to leave his wife eating her picnic lunch while he quietly encircled the area in order to come up behind the peeping tom. Slowly creeping towards the area where the man had been seen, the ex-policeman was surprised to find a naked old man, short in stature, with a long-flowing white hairy beard. Once within reach, the ex-police officer rushed forward, ready to make a citizen's arrest. However, much to his amazement, the figure vanished before his eyes. How he explained this ghostly figure to his wife and let alone his police colleagues has never been revealed though it is recorded the couple spent their days out elsewhere from then on never picnicking in the haunted courtyard ever again
0: i was totally waiting for you to like when they're describing the white wizard like you know, he's got a long flowing beard and he was standing there erect <laughs> watching them
1: <laughs> just stiff as a yeah. water fountain in the middle of
0: the courtyard <laughs> they went to go grab him and everything disappeared but his floating penis
1: <laughs> <laughs> right hello <laughs> oh okay so this next story it is going to go out to your brother Jason the ghost of the sex-crazed cat. <laughs> oh. It was in the early 1800s when Mr. Edward Mainel, the nephew of Lord Halifax and a keen collector of ghost stories, took great pleasure in repeatedly telling the extraordinary ghost story concerning a haunted sex-crazed cat. In the story, like any other classic story, the event happened to, quote, not me, but a friend of mine. (laughs) So that's a great way to start a story. This happened to a friend of mine. Definitely not me. The unnamed friend, let's refer to him as Edward Main, had taken a break with some friends in the Eastburn in order to relax after a very long period of work and research. Arriving at Eastburn, he was surprised to find a party taking place with a number of his close acquaintances. He climbs upstairs in order to go to his room that he normally occupies and take a short nap when a cat met him on the landing, a cat he had never seen before. The cat put on a show of great affection for the man, excitedly rubbing itself around his feet in such a manner that Maine suddenly realized the cat was becoming sexually excited and started going through the motions of mating with his shoes. In addition, it embarrassed him by whining strangely and trying to climb off his legs towards his genital area. Desperately shaking free from the cat, he succeeded in reaching his room. Maine managed with great difficulty to shut the cat out and dressed for dinner, only to be met by the strange cat, and it's even stranger sexual behavior once more as he walked down the landing towards the stairs. Now, he's quite relieved when he gets downstairs to meet everybody for dinner, because the cat didn't follow him. After dinner, Maine spoke to the host about the strange cat trying to get his jollies off on his shoes. The host looked at him puzzledly and said, "'That's very strange. There's lots of neighborhood cats in the area,' but I've never had a cat in the house, nor have I ever owned a cat myself. Now Edward Maine dismissed the matter from his mind, only to have been confronted by the problems yet again when he departed for bed. The cat once more began its excited show of affection on the landing, this time climbing beyond the waist of his pants, almost to his neck before Maine could detach it from his clothing. During the following day, which was Sunday, the cat continued the sexual onslaught on Maine's shoes, whining hysterically and attempting to climb his clothing. However, each time, the house owner could not find the cat or evidence of a feline even being in the home. That evening, it was not on the landing, but instead somewhere else that Maine encountered the horny cat again. It was early in the morning when he awoke with a startle. Something was pricking his body, and he put his hand to his body to find something wet and warm there. Lighting a candle, Edward Maine found that his nightshirt was covered in blood. Down one side of his body and in his bed was the cat, which had bothered him so much during the day, Maine was so outraged with one swipe of his hand he dashed the cat it flew across the room suddenly he felt the hair on the back of his neck stand up and cold air filling the room the cat angrily hissed and spat with much venom as it had shown sexual excitement earlier now it was very unnerved now what's strange after this is much like an episode of the Sabrina the Teenage Witch. The cat began screaming obscenities and curses and blasphemies at the man for not letting him have his way. How the cat made it into the bedroom is a mystery. Some say it crawled through a secret passageway. Others say it was a specter of a formerly deceased cat. No one can say what exactly happened, but Edward Maine knows the truth. So, do you think your brother would have just shit on the cat to get it out of there? Oh, fuck yeah. (laughs) You've been like, come here, kitty. Right.
0: (laughs) This really sounds like, uh, because you know how, like, um, like, Warlocks and witches, like they'll take on the form of animals. Mm-hmm. And so, it, it, you know, it's said like warlocks usually take on like wolves and bat or uh, owls. Yeah. Well, witches really take on the form of cats. Like, I mean, if the cat's fucking screaming obscenities at it, <laughs> like, fuck you for not letting me get my jollies <laughs> off, motherfucker. <laughs> like, it was probably a witch. Like, it was a witch and like it was just pissed because it was trying to rape him cat
1: style. Yeah. I just, the cat was getting way too into it. If his whole side's bloody from the. The cuts yeah. and everything else. Rubbing them raw. Rawr. Now, he did go on to get a doctor to look him over, you know, a couple of days later. And nothing could be found but a little bit of irritated skin. Um, he said what was very strange is he didn't have any actual cuts or puncture wounds on his body. Just raw areas where it looked like he'd been licked furiously by something with a very a very rough tongue. Hmm. Yeah. Well, Preston, from Cats, I'm going to take you to The Groaning Bubbles. (laughs) (laughs) One of the strangest of hauntings is that of The Groaning Bubbles. A woman named Jessie lived somewhere in the area in the mid-1800s. It's said that she would go down to the shores of the lake to make love to her boyfriend, who unbeknownst to her also took several other girls down to the lakeside almost every evening in order to have his way with them. Before long, Jesse was informed by a friend of something that she ought to know. The young man was making love to any woman he could get his hands on. Even worse was the fact that he was already engaged to the flaxen-haired daughter of a rich local farmer. She was too oblivious to her fiancé's philandering ways to even realize he was betting several women down by the lakeside. Though shocked and distressed by the revelations, Jessie's evenings of passion meant too much to her to let him go. So the story goes of the groaning bubbles that whilst engaged in sex at the water's edge, Jessie told her lover that she was aware of his future engagement, but that if he went ahead with the wedding, she would inform the rich farmer and his daughter of all that she knew. Though he protested his innocence, he knew he had been found out, and that his chance of marrying the fortune was all but lost. The young couple lay there in their naked embrace. Meanwhile, the young man formed a plot in his head. Mounting the young girl once more, he engaged in a passionate lovemaking so intense that his lover was completely oblivious to the water's lapping edge just beyond their heads. As her passion reached a climax, her lover maneuvered her body over the shallow edge of the lake until, with a quick movement, he pressed her head beneath the water. Ignoring her violent struggle for life, her lover used his superior strength to ensue. She remained beneath the gentle waves until she stopped moving completely. Many years later, when he was an old man, that the mystery of Jessie's disappearance would have never been solved. He had evidently placed her body in a weighted sack and thrown her into the deepest part of the tarn. Jessie's ghost still haunts the spot where her murder took place. It begins with the sound of strange, bubbly, orgasmic moans and panting which then stop abruptly. After a silent break, lasting only seconds long, a series of bubbles breaking the surface of the water's edge will slowly let out painful, pitiful moanings and cries for help, just as it did the day that Jesse died at the throes of passion at the hands of the unscrupulous lover. So that's the story of the groaning bubbles.
0: I mean, Alicia got her rocks off before she died.
1: Oh, fuck, man! So,
0: Going out, doing what you loved, yeah. what they loved—that's
1: not fair. Doing what they loved.
0: I mean, I'd be more pissed as a ghost if I died like seconds before you know reaching coitus. Like <laughs> that would piss me off. But I mean, at least she's like, oh oh, oh, "Oh, oh," and then died. So you know, I'm gonna add
1: that to the top ten things I never want to hear you ever do again. <laughs> Gross. Oh. Man, well, (laughs) everybody blow your candles out, (laughs) turn the lights back on, press and shit shit the bed. Mm. Well, buddy, check this segue out. Speaking of bubbles bursting and beds being shat in, I'm going to tell you the old story about the ghosts who broke wind. mm -hmm. It would seem that in the 18th century and early 19th centuries that St. James Street in London was a street containing many haunted buildings. A short account in a magazine of the mid-1800s recalls the unusual tale of one particular house, which nobody would inhabit because of the obnoxious sounds and odors that closely resembled that of people violently breaking wind. Early tenants in the building would wake to find themselves surrounded by an odor which was... (laughs) variously described as rotten eggs, rotting cabbage, or sulfurous fumes. At first, bad drainage was suspected, but repeated investigations failed to find the cause. The nuisance went from bad to worse until everybody in the owner's home vacated the building and let the rooms instead, which means they basically couldn't live there anymore and tried to rent them out. This was no solution, however, for within a very short time, tales began to circulate. Before long, even weary travelers became aware of its reputation for bad smells and would not stay in the building very long. The sounds of breaking wind could first be reported around 1750, when a new owner took over the building. After buying the place, a very fair amount of restoration work was undertaken the ancient wood paneling was temporarily removed and the walls beneath were treated with some quick lime, evidently used to cure bad smells. This only seemed to make matters worse, for when the panels were put back in place, sightings of strange, transparent, unclothed figures apparently drifted in and out of the rooms at night, laughing silently to themselves as they would compete with each other for who could break wind the loudest? (laughs) For a short time, the blashing ghosts, as they became known, (laughs) were an attraction, even drawing guests who were actually willing to pay overnight in rooms hoping to catch a whiff or a glimpse of the specters. However, within a short time, the novelty value ceased, and the new owner, unwilling to occupy the building himself, could not find anybody else who would stay as a paying tenant. Other owners took over the building, and all evidently unaware of its ghostly reputation. Naturally, as soon as they were aware of the strange happenings, they all tried to find somebody else unsuspecting, willing to take it off their hands for a knockdown cheaper price. The building stood empty for many years until a young man recently returned home from abroad decided to take up the lodgings there. After only one night in the building, he refused to stay any longer, complaining of the terrible noise, the terrible smells, and the ghastly male nude figures running about the house, breaking wind, and giggling. One night, even after a particularly long raspberry being let out, he felt the curtains move at the bottom of his four-post bed to see the face of a bald man grinning, giggling to himself, perhaps trying to judge the effects of his ill windbreaking and what it had upon the unfortunate occupier. (laughs) I I love this story because the fucking ghost farted so hard, it's just like, uh? Uh? (laughs) Oh man, another long period occurred without tenants until eventually it was decided the old interior paneling should be completely removed and the building should be refurbished. Ancient wooden fabric was burned, on makeshift bonfires, and other parts of the house destroyed, which somehow managed to get rid of the smells entirely. On still dark nights now when the moon is full, the sound of ghostly footsteps can be heard from time to time, but following the inhabitants is a sweet smell of roses instead of the nauseous fumes
0: like the ghost felt guilty for farting all those years and so they there you go roses
1: <laughs> i think the i think the ghost hated the wood paneling so much they just kept farting until somebody pulled it down <laughs> it looks like somebody's old basement damn it <laughs> <laughs> Oh man! Well, for now, our last sexy tale, Preston. I saved this one just for you. Oh, and it's gonna answer some of your questions. What about ghost handjobs and ectosplush? Well, in a roundabout way, we're not too far from that,
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: buddy. I'm gonna tell you the story of the urinating goblin. <laughs> <laughs> The names of the people involved have been changed by request, though the place and the incidents that occurred have been faithfully recorded. It was in 1932 that Carl Bruker, a German writer, and his wife were on holiday near Roscria, an extremely picturesque part of Ireland. Bruker was compiling a book on religious and military remains and had taken off on his own one day to see one of the local round towers for which ireland is famous for it was a rainy day but despite the dismal weather Bruker had set off without any waterproof clothing and was already soaking wet when he had came to the base of his tower looking up at the 80 foot tall structure he forgot about his discomfort with the rain as he noticed the entrance to the tower was very peculiar The entrance, or doorway, was more than 15 feet from the ground. The writer was perplexed and circled the building a number of times, taking photographs from various points and various angles, before withdrawing to a distance in order to have his sandwich and make a few scribbled notes. Now, as he wrote, he continued to look at the high entrance, which fascinated him, when all of a sudden he caught sight of a strange movement, at the entrance, 15 feet off the ground. As he was wearing his glasses, his view was obstructed somewhat for the droplets of rain that had gathered in small specks on his lenses, blocking his vision. However, quickly wiping away the rain as best he could, he looked more intensely at the figure, which was now appearing to be walking down from the entrance, diagonally down an invisible stairway. Bruker wrote... I can remember thinking that perhaps he was a circus performer walking down a tightrope. Though of course, why this could be, I don't know, because there was no circus anywhere, nor was there a visible tightrope. And why he'd be practicing in such awful weather is beyond me. The German visitor decided to take a closer look. But by the time he reached the base of the tower, there was no one to be seen. Walking around the building from side to side, Bruker immediately became aware of what he presumed to be a small boy, dodging backwards and forwards as if trying to hide on the opposite side of the building. As Bruker went right, the figure went left, and vice versa. Bruker then wrote on his theory, By now I was wet and bad-tempered and certainly not in a mood for playing games, so I began to walk away. As I got about 10 feet from the base of the tower, I became aware of someone small walking behind me and giggling stupidly. I continued to walk a while, pretending not to notice him, and then suddenly I stopped in my tracks, turned heel. Bruker was not prepared for what he saw. Trailing behind him was a tiny figure of a man, three feet tall, naked except for a brown floppy hat. I can only describe him as a goblin, said Bruker, who's recorded the fact that the sheer ugliness of the man's features made him sick, for he was covered in warts, had a large misshapen nose, and worst of all, he had a poor <laughs> he had a large, disproportionately thick phallus which hung almost to the ground.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, He's got a big old Johnson.
1: <laughs> <laughs> big John Wiener. Uh, oh, the goblin seemed fully aware that I was unable to take my eyes off his giant member, and giggling like a maniac, he began to swing it around like a. <laughs> he began to swing it around and around like an enormous piece of rope. At this point, I was walking backwards, stumbling, and tripped over a rock. The hair on the back of my neck began to stand on end. As I. <laughs> As I did, so did the ugly, misshapen goblin rush towards me. In fear of danger, I held my hands to my face, expecting a blow. When suddenly, (laughs) something hot and wet began to hit me. Pitter-patter. The goblin was urinating on me. As soon as I looked up, now in anger more than horror, the ugly being began to fade away slowly, taking on the appearance of a ghost you see in the movies. With a strange dance, he began to laugh loudly. Before I knew it, he had faded away to a point where he looked like nothing more than a featureless gray shadow that began to drift and ground back towards the tower. Why I did it, I don't know. But My first reaction was to lift my arm up to my nose and smell it, presumably because of the urine shower which I had just experienced. Strangely, my clothes did not smell. But I realized that my previous wet clothes were now completely dry. Even the spots of rain on my glasses had, had disappeared, and through the clear lenses I could see the gnome-like figure returning through the air to the door of the tower, twirling his phallus still like a rope. Ruker goes on to state that he almost immediately felt his clothes begin to gradually become wet again, in exactly the same way you'd expect dry clothes to do if you had just gone out in the rain. The writer admits he was not a believer in ghosts, though at the time of the incident, nothing was further from his mind, nor had he ever experienced any unusual happenings before this time. His wife was aware of his beliefs, but said to be much more skeptical, and Brooker said he never did reveal the incident to her for fear of being laughed out of the house. (laughs) Oh, man... Now, it should be noted here that Bruker did go to a psychiatrist, he was regressed, and he recounted the incident just as same as I read to you guys. So, there you have it, the strange tale of the pissing gnome with a rope-like dick. Big rope-like Big like dick. Big rope-like dick. <laughs> Damn. hmm hmm mm-hmm. mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, there are plenty more stories like that in this book, so we will, from time to time, bring these back. Hang on a second. Sorry, I had a chunk of ice in my mouth. It was rattling against my teeth. That's a little bit for those ASMR fans out there. Uh, so, yeah, a little sexy time for you guys. Hopefully you enjoyed those tales.
0: God, I would be so fucking pissed if a goblin pissed on me. Like, I'd be like, you little motherfucker. <laughs> you
1: little rope dick motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Be like, you know what? Piss on me. I'm piss on you. <laughs> so you
1: just whip yours out and start pissing on the gnome, huh? Yeah. Oh, good stuff. Hell yeah. I debated on... the st- uh, sh- yeah, Shaving. That's not the right word. I, de- <laughs> <laughs> I debated on saving that story for, um, you know, the show we'll do near St. Patty's Day, but it was just too good to share, to not share. Well, yeah. <sighs> well, let's uh, finish it off on something a little bit more uh, Spooky. Because you had me watch episode two of the Netflix show, Haunting. Is it Haunting or Haunted? Mm -hmm. Uh, Okay, cool. And uh, why don't you get into that a little bit? You wanted to kind of cuss and discuss that a little bit. So let's knock that out.
0: Yeah, um, so I'll start off by saying like, it's it's, uh, five episodes, six episodes maybe. Mm -hmm. And uh, the premise behind the show is you have a person who has had a paranormal experience something that's maybe scarred them or stayed with them throughout their life and uh, they've never told anybody before so they basically gather close friends and family and they basically lay it all out on the line so this is the first time they've ever shared it with you know real people and you kind of get to see the family's reactions like Oh, holy shit! Like I never knew that you did that. Like that's that's crazy, Dad. <laughs> and so the the first the first episode, um, I can't remember the guy's name, but he basically tells the story of, um, you know, his mom and dad were, uh, on the road truckers, and um, so they moved around a lot, and they were getting ready to, um, I don't know, I guess locate to this uh, town in Pennsylvania, and they were going to rent this uh, uh, apartment. And they were, they were stopped at this motel, and he remembers like waking up, and uh, they're over at the diner, and they're eating breakfast. And they hear this horrible scream, and this man runs across the parking lot, bucked ass naked, with an axe, and just fucking hits somebody in the skull. Cracks their skull, and blood's all over the place, and he's basically watching this axe murderer go to town. People in the restaurant are freaking out and they're trying to bar the doors so this guy can't, you know, get in. And he's just running around the parking lot naked, swinging away. Finally, the cops show up, shoot him and kill him. And, um, you know, I tried to look that up and I couldn't find at any point in time in like the 60s or 70s that there was like an axe murder shot in a motel parking lot. So don't know if that's true or not. But then he he goes on to tell this story about um, how they rent this apartment and, um, you know, they're in there and he starts hearing this, this voice, this whispery voice calling his name and he tries to tell his parents and his dad just beats the shit out of him like, go back to bed, boy, you don't know, you're just seeing shit. And so the kid's afraid to, you know, basically tell anybody else what's going on. And, uh, you know, another week goes by and, uh, the closet door swings open and there's a lady in white that's hanging from a rope mm-hmm. and, you know, then it goes in a little further one night he's taking a bath and then like all of a sudden he's pulled under the water. And when he gets back up, like the whole bathtub is covered in blood and his mom comes in cause he's screaming and she's like wiping the blood off of him and just has this look on his, on her face like, Oh, you know, I believe you, but we're not going to say mm-hmm. anything. So then they, they go to move out and the, the landlord's like, Wow, you know, I'm really shocked that you guys lasted that long. And they're like, What the fuck are you talking about, dude? And he's like, Well, you know, the last lady that rented that apartment, um, she killed her kids in the bathroom and then hung herself in the closet. And uh, right like the you know, two days before you guys moved in, um, I had to retile the bathroom and recarpet the closet. And so the little boy was like, Oh, holy shit. So basically it goes on that the the story so, you know, the, the lady in white follows him and, um, you know, he's in this new town and thinks everything's better and he's riding bikes with his best friend and then they're at night riding around going home and he sees the lady in white and he like stops his bike. She disappears. He gets hit by a car and like he, you know, almost dies. And so essentially he says that, you know, I'm seeing the lady in white again and I really think it means that I'm going to die anytime and, you know, you, you don't take your life for granted and uh, so that's the end of episode one you're like oh man this is this is pretty fucking rad like uh, i'm starting to like where this is going Mm -hmm. so episode two is titled slaughterhouse and um it, it starts off by these two sisters um and they're you know retelling their childhood and they live somewhere in upstate new york in a wooded area which you know anything past new york city it's all fucking wooded. So who knows where exactly it's at, but it's somewhere kind of, you know, out in the out in the wilderness, you know, just a little cabin house out there in the woods. And you know, they talk about how their their mom would every night they would sit in a rocking chair and she would rock back and forth and sing this song. And the dad would make the girls roll this orange back mm-hmm. and forth. Because they didn't own a TV, they didn't own a radio, and he would basically just watch them. That was their entertainment. They had this game of, like, soccer orange, hockey orange. I, you know, they didn't really explain it, but basically they would have to roll this orange back and forth to each other. And if they screwed up, you know, the dad would, you know, slap them in the face and tell them they were dumb. And so kind of this abusive relationship, right? And so the next scene, um, the girls are talking about how their dad would bring home uh, what he called strays. So he would go out to the bars and he would find people who were hitchhikers, people who were out of towners, and they would get drunk and he wouldn't bring them back to the house. And, you know, they'd drink moonshine and, the you know, play the piano. And then the mom and dad would fucking kill them mm-hmm. and chop them up in the, the bits. And so um, the one of the girls said, you know, the next day, we always knew what it meant when dad would say, you know, I'm taking a trip out into the woods because he was disposing of the bodies. It goes on a little bit further and, you know, they show this scene uh, where the dad's reconstructing um, or they're reenacting the scene where the dad is having this weird satanic ritual like out in the forest and he's trying to conjure up spirits um, and like all this weird crap happens and then um, eventually like one of the daughters runs away and then um the other girl had a son and now the the grandfather's trying to teach the son about how to murder people like you know you gotta you gotta take lives and this is how you gotta skin them and this is how you had to do all this yeah stuff. yeah uh, um then uh you know now the the parents are in their 70s and the mother starts to hear these voices and basically strangles the old man and then calls up the grandson's like the voice has told me to kill grandpa the voice has told me to do it and, like, he shows up and, like, you know, grandma's, like, you know, blabbling in the corner and the granddad's dead. So he inherits the house. And uh, he's down in the basement and he finds all these trophies that the grandfather had collected over the years. So every time that he killed somebody, he would keep something like a necklace, an earring, a um, lock of hair, you know, whatever it was, he had a trophy for all, all these murders. And so the grandson, on this television show says like, I just burned it all. Like I got rid of it. I destroyed right. the evidence. And then, um, some other paranormal shit start happening. Like doors were opening. He was hearing voices. So he calls the other, you know, calls his aunt back. And as she walks into the house, they start to see these weird bloody handprints form on the, on the, uh, floor in front of them. And it's like, whoever was on the floor started crawling up the wall and you could trace these, these, you know, f- patterns of these bloody handprints. And that's, that's basically where it ends. Right. Uh-huh. They, they're like, you know, you need a Thomas, you need to burn down the house. I I know what your house and I ain't telling you what to do, but you need to burn it down. <laughs> and then, the, you know, the other sister turns to her and she's like, I don't think you can burn away evil. Once evil's there, it's there to stay. And then that's it. <laughs> that's like, that's the end of the fucking show. Right. right? So I'm thinking, like, holy fuck, like, if this is for real, how did we, like, how did we miss one of the largest serial killers in, you know, America's, like, this is more than Ted Bundy. Like, we're talking, like, hundreds of people of strays that, uh, m- missing hitchhikers mm-hmm. and, you know, people on the roads. Like, how did we miss this? And then for him to admit on national television that he burned the evidence, like, holy fucking shit, like, that's a crime right yeah. there. Yeah. And, uh, so people have been fucking calling this out on Twitter and, um, you know, so they, they tagged the producer who is Brett Patrick Jenkins. Right. And so one, uh, Twitter, Twitter user said, I usually don't watch random Spookfest shows, but it's Halloween. And I found myself watching haunted on Netflix yeah. and I bumped into ep- episode two. Now this story, now is this story really true? If it is, Is there anything being done regarding the victims and tampering with evidence at Brett Patrick? So um, Brett Patrick responds, we relayed what we were told to the authorities. The whole thing is shocking and emotional. No feedback from law enforcement. Hopefully the show adds pressure that leads to an investigation. And this was October 21st of 2018. Um, so then like, I mean, it kept blowing up, kept blowing up. People kept like, you know, tagging this guy in like all these posts. And so the last one was October 25th. And he said, slaughterhouse is real. It's too much to explain over Twitter, but the truth is there. The powers that be, know, and it's more shocking than you saw on the show. If I say anything else, I could get people in trouble and I'm not willing to do that now. Hashtag Netflix, hashtag haunted. Now the first show Um, The very first episode, people on Twitter um, and Reddit looked up about that guy um, and try. You know, like Mm -hmm. I said, like I try to look up the story about the serial axe murderer in the the parking lot. We'll come to find out that that guy who told that story, he's an actual producer of B horror movies. Like that's his job. He works for a horror company and they make B horror movies, like really Mm -hmm. shitty, campy horror movies. So it makes the makes you wonder, like. Even though this this producer, Brett Patrick's like, it's all real. But yeah, the first guy that told this story about a woman hanging in a fucking closet, um, he's a fucking producer of horror movies. So he could have just been testing out a fucking script. Like You've just kind of lost some credibility there, dudes. So I don't know. What do you think?
1: <laughs> I'm sorry. I was, just, I was just reading a tweet here. It says, watching Netflix, Haunted. Watching episode two, Slaughterhouse. I call bullshit. If people are... That's stupid. Then you deserve to have your ass haunted. Also, your father was a serial killer and haven't told authorities about it? Pfft. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Um, Okay, so this says here, for those wondering, yes, the story has apparently been passed on to authorities. A Twitter user who identifies himself as an executive producer of the show answered a few fan questions and confirmed they passed on relevant information to police. Uh, This guy says, I don't usually watch random spooky shows. Is that what you just said? We relayed what we have been told to the authorities. The whole thing is shocking and emotional. No feedback from law enforcement. Hopefully, the show adds pressure and leads on an investigation. Wow.
0: That's interesting, dude. So, yeah. So what do you think? You watched it. uh, What are your thoughts?
1: Well, you know what? Like, I wasn't thinking too deeply into it because that was one of those things I watched late at night around like, you know, midnight, one o'clock in the morning. So I actually fell asleep halfway through it. Not because it was boring, just because I was just exhausted that day. Yeah. And I came back and watched the second half, you know, the next day. I never really thought about what you were saying until just now. And that does kind of baffle me. I just assumed this is a story that we've been told, uh, you know, countless times on ID discovery and everything else. I didn't yeah. realize that it was actually a, uh, an actual story. Huh? I mean, I guess you'd investigate this by going to local libraries and looking up, you know, records of that family living there. Yeah. Huh? Interesting.
0: And it's just weird because you think the amount of, because the way they described, like, there there were hundreds of trophies. So we're talking, you know, let's just say 100. Yeah. And it might be more, like, you would think that the amount of missing people in upstate New York in the 60s and 70s, like, that would have led questions to authorities. Like, you know, like, something would have came of that. And it's like, yeah, but we never heard of it. So, yeah. like, is this just... A bunch of fucking bullshit. Well, and what's
1: interesting as well is they talk about the little boy, the nephew, and how, you know, he was um, out there with the dad learning how to skin animals and that kind of stuff. And, of course, they show you the dramatization of him being forced to skin that pig, and then the, the uncle shoves his face into the pig, and he's smearing blood all over himself, and he's worshiping the devil and all that weird shit. What if the kid was involved with the murders, What if that little boy helped kill some of the people and then he burned the house down to get rid of the evidence? Yeah. Wow.
0: You have a whole fucking serial killer family and Netflix is like, "Eh, it's just a story.
1: Well, and I mean, I don't know if it's fair to say that necessarily because they might just be like, Hey, great content. It's Halloween. Boom. Press it. Let's get it out here. And they could be ignorant like I am and just think that was a case that was well known. And, Maybe I don't know that that deserves a googling, sir. Maybe we put a pin in that and come back to it because there's also fascinating information, too. You never got to finish watching Hell House, never got to finish watching, but like I was telling, huh? You said what now? You cut, uh, you never finished watching Demon House. I think I just called it Hell House, but that Demon House, Zach Begins, yeah, uh, documentary because after I finished that, um. I read some other stories saying that there's actually, there was an actual active serial killer in that neighborhood, in that town, where that documentary took place during the actual filming. Oh, shit. And they're saying that a lot of uh, sources and a lot of people have speculated that maybe that negative energy from the, uh, the possession of that house, that haunting, could have possibly influenced the individual to do what he did, but... I've never looked into it too much more because I've been kind of waiting for a specific episode to get into that because you know we don't really talk too much about true uh, true crime. Yeah. But yeah, maybe we gotta come back on another short episode or another little side episode and and chat, do a little research on those two cases and talk some more about them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I never I never really thought of it the way you are and the way I guess the rest of the world is thinking about how like they just admitted on <laughs> on television that their dad was a killer and. Hundreds of disappearances. That's really strange, man. Yeah. Super creepy. Huh. I don't know. Well, we'll, I think we'll have to kind of circle back. And
0: the fact that, like, the grandma, like, they admitted that the grandma killed the dad. And, like, what the fuck happened to grandma? Like, where's grandma? Like, grandma's a murderer. Get her out of that nursing home.
1: Yeah, no shit. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's very true, too. I just, I chalked it up to backwoods law. And, like, (laughs) it just got dealt with, but... Huh.
0: Well, she put old Fred out
1: of his misery, moving on. Yep. (laughs) He was a lame horse. That's how we do it. (laughs) Well, and, you know, a lot of shows have have been proven to be uh, guilty of fabricating stories just to get, you know, viewers and and to get ratings and whatnot. So you never know. Yeah. It's, It's hard to say. And, you know, it's just like Hollywood movies, like The Haunting of Connecticut how much of that movie was so far away from the original story is ridiculous, but yeah, that's what they put out. And that's what the, the mainstream, you know, viewers and, um, consumers see. And that's what they think happened. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Well, well buddy, we're sitting right at about an hour. Should we go oh, ahead shit. and yeah, plug, plug and stuff some stuff and get out of here? I was thinking it'd stuff. be in a half hour show, but we just droned on. Yeah, buddy. Things got hot and heavy with that pissing goblin and that, Whew. uh, Peeping wizard. Well, on that note,
0: if you need a beard, want a beard, if you want to grow a beard that's going to get a ghost wizard erect or even like a you know a big dick goblin happy, check out <laughs> com and spruce that shit up. And Sean is going to hit you with the promo code.
1: <laughs> Use promo code P-X-L-P-A-R-A for 20% off your entire order. And if you're in the Omaha, Nebraska area in April, on April 13th, come check out the Rock Your Beard Off Beard Mustache competition that weekend on Saturday. Um, We're going to be there along with Big Dobbs, along with Gunslinger Soap, along with the Omaha Facial Hair Society. Uh, Rob Bones is going to be there and some other folks. And uh, it's going to be a lot of fun meeting some listeners, catching up with everybody. Checking out some really great facial hair, some big old beards, some big old mustaches, and, uh, you know, Presto and I might even throw our names in the hat and see if we can pull off a W. Yeah, I'm excited for that. And then I think while we're there, we're going to try to hit up another uh, paranormal location, check out a museum in the neighborhood, more on that uh, after we do that, but. Good stuff. Check out Mark solo show, pixelated sausage. Check out his YouTube channel and his videos for attack the backlog. Check out our friends over in Colorado, fear and fame. And then Presto, what's my favorite race car podcast ever sports cars. Unleashed. Hell yeah. And don't All forget right, our
0: YouTube channel. Join oh, shit, the, my bad, dude. Join the Richard DeRome, uh, you know, tinfoil hat society and, uh, you know, become a subscriber.
1: <laughs> Is that like the old ladies wearing the red hats, but it's yeah. just a bunch of kooks. <laughs> it's a bunch of kooky old bastards and tinfoil hats. Yep.
0: Go like down the it. rabbit hole with your I friend Richard it. Jerome and join the
1: pixelated paranormal YouTube channel. Subscribe yeah. today. Boom shagalaka. Hey guys, and check us out on YouTube. <laughs> Fuck. God. <laughs> check us out on uh, Instagram. Instagram. PXL Paranormal. Uh, we post a lot of uh, imagery and a lot of companion guides on there, and uh, getting a lot of feedback and a lot of uh, interaction with listeners and fans and whatnot on there. So that's been a lot of fun.
0: And if you still use Twitter, because I'm not even sure if we still do, but we have a Twitter thing, so we got one.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, we definitely got one of those. <laughs> you can find <laughs> us on Facebook. We yeah. do get on the old Facebook quite a bit, so. Hell yeah. All right, guys, I think we've done enough damage this time around. We'll catch you next time around. Big Steven will be back on board with us back in the back seat. And, uh, yeah, I think we'll catch you all next time. Peace.
0: The cast at Pixelated Paranormal would like to thank you for listening to this week's episode. Pixelated Paranormal is here to tell you tales of the fantastical, the strange, the unknown tales that will move you a little further down the paranormal highway. If you'd like to share your own listener story, we would love to hear it. Email us at pixelatedparanormal at gmail.com Again, that's pixelatedparanormal at gmail.com We'd really love to hear from you. Again, thanks for listening to this week's episode of Pixelated Paranormal. Your guide to the unusual and
1: the strange.